Sarah, hi, I see you finally made it to our recording. Thanks for joining us. Oh, so much shame. So I got back to the car an hour ago and saw a message from you. You're like, hey, what's up? Why'd you stand us up for this week's podcast? And I was actually riding with a group of eight-year-olds at that time. Uh, I, I work with Little Bells, which is a nonprofit that uh, gets girls on mountain bikes. And I was riding with them and I just... It, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. I completely dropped the ball and put the wrong thing in the calendar at the wrong time. But do you feel at least a little, a little better knowing that I wasn't just sitting there, you know, watching Netflix? I actually feel a lot better. I, I first of all, never assumed you were sitting there watching Netflix. Like that didn't even <laughs> cross my mind. <laughs> just ignoring, but like, I really don't feel like recording right now. And just, yeah, forget. Just, Sorry, forget Sarah. It. I can't, I just blow that, <laughs> that Sarah net if we were riding thing off. Um, <laughs> I assumed maybe you were, I did think bikes. Like I assumed maybe, because you didn't respond right away. So I thought, you know, maybe you were out on your bike, but actually being out on your bike with eight-year-olds is, um, that's that's the best excuse I've ever heard. And and as I told you earlier, I also missed a meeting yesterday by accident because um, I was with a group of nine-year-olds. But we weren't biking. We were buying Slurpees, which is far less uh, good for the nine-year-olds in question. But um, so <laughs> I applaud you and you rock because you were riding with eight-year-olds and we made it back here safely. <laughs> and now we're recording. More importantly, our guest today was able to reschedule and make up for my little snafu. So thanks for, to both of you for uh, being accommodating. Yep. So luckily, we're able to ride today with the lovely Jordan Blanco, who, if you're a regular listener, you will know she, um, she has sent a number of voicemails, especially I remember a particularly informative one about the history of Women for Try. Um, and Jordan has an MBA from Stanford, um, and she is in the know about all things triathlon business. Um, Jordan, we met, I think, back in the 50 Women to Kona days. Is that the first time we met? Yeah, we definitely met via email in those days. I remember maybe you and I were both applying for the Women for Tri Board back in 2015, and we had a discussion about that. Um, so I'm not sure when we actually met in person, maybe in Kona a couple of years later. Yeah, I think it was, I think, yeah, it was before Women for Try Days for sure, because remember Women for Try was a reaction to our push for 50 Women to Kona. I actually, oh, I got it now. I think you and Kelly Burns Gallagher were putting together a petition to have equal slots for the pro women on the start line. And, um, and I think I was circled into that somehow. Yeah, I think I was like pulling together a lot of the contacts and you and I ended up connecting on that. Yeah, so. Like, is it that late 2014, early 2015? I, I, yeah. I lose track of time. I'm getting so old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said before the show that um, I was going to ask you why you rock, to say why you rock, but I, I think I'm going to tell you why you rock, <laughs> if that's okay. okay. Yeah, um, go for you, it. You rock because um, you're such a good networker. Um, and I want to ask you about that. And you know everybody in triathlon. Um, so after the break, we're going to talk to Jordan about being a great, great at networking and knowing people. We're going to talk about the Ironman acquisition and answer all of our business questions because Sarah and I stumbled over it. Well, I should speak for myself. I stumbled over it quite a lot last week. Um, and we're going to talk some predictions for the future of the sport after this. 
Hey, Sarah, I have a riddle for you. What's refreshing, oh. great, any time of day, and super awesome? Oh my gosh, is it the If We Were Riding podcast? Oh no, wait, by the look on your face, it's not. It's <laughs> it's noon. Yes! It's noon, isn't it? Ding, ding, ding! You got the answer! Woo! Okay, friends, seriously, Noon Hydration has been a sponsor of Live Feisty and this very podcast for a couple of years. They are amazing. They are supportive. And we all get 30% off with the new code, note the new code, Live Feisty um, at noonlife.com. So use the code Live Feisty, E before I, at noonlife.com. I'm Sarah Gross. And I'm Sarah True, and you're listening to If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real, I'm feeling so ruthless. My time. So Jordan, the first time, okay, I do remember when we met you in Kona because Ashley and I were there for the first time doing the Iron Women coverage. I think this, no, it was before that. It was before that I had met you, sorry. But I remember when Ashley and I were there the first time and she said to me, she was doing a lot of work on Instagram and she said to me, who's Jordan Blanco? Like just out of the blue one day. And it was because she was paying attention to everything was happening around Kona on Instagram and talking to everybody and trying to make connections. She's like, Jordan knows everybody. Um, <laughs> so how do, how do you know everybody? Well, I think one of the biggest inputs in that equation is time. I've been doing the sport since 2001 and probably did my first like half Ironman in 2003, my first full in 2004. So I've definitely been around the sport for almost 20 years. Um, and then I think there's obviously, I, I have a business background. I was working in finance for um, almost 20 years, the first 20 years of my career. And networking was a really important part of that. I remember going to conferences and like trying to remember the names of all these mostly white men that I was meeting and like having to repeat them and trying to come up with a story to connect them so I would remember them the next time. And um, So I think that's part of it. And then I, I just love triathlon. I mean, I say that with a, a touch of shame when I say it, which is stupid, but I, I am really passionate about the sport. I'm, I love meeting the people in it. I love supporting the pros and seeing them be successful. And I love meeting and bringing new age groupers into the sport too. I, I coach a few athletes and I, I love seeing them be successful. So yeah, it's just investment banker turned, I don't know what you call me, a triathlon groupie. No, it's, you're not a groupie because you're, you love the sport is genuine. Um, you know, you want to see the sport succeed. You want to see individuals, you know, achieve and you're also part of it. You, you actively do it. So I wouldn't say you're, I mean, you're just, no, <laughs> you're integrated. You're integrated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're part of the Thank landscape you, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> When you said, okay, I'm curious about this. You said you make up stories to try to remember. Like, is that a tool to, to remember people's names and remember people? Yeah, I feel for me, well, first of all, remembering a name, always repeat it when they say it to you. And then try and remember, like, if, if like, 
whether it's weather from or like a, an interesting kind of story they tell you within that yeah I, I try and like remember like oh he was the guy that uh, it's failing right now but like wrote a tandem or whatever like when he was a kid or whatever the story is I should try that I feel like I would also forget the stories I have, <laughs> I have the, I've, my memory is not my best characteristic <laughs> to be yeah I'm a I would probably make up stories about people. I'm like, that guy owns an ostrich. <laughs> Joe, who owns an ostrich? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know anybody who owns ostriches, but whatever. <laughs> That's an aside. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I thank you for the compliment that you think I'm good at networking. I hadn't necessarily thought it was like a skill set I was strong at, but um yeah, maybe it's a combination of the passion for the sport and being interested in people and what they're about. Yeah, it definitely shines through for sure. Okay, mm-hmm. and then and then before the show, we were you flashed us some of your notes, and I think I think Sarah just about went crazy over there. Um, what what are all those notes you got in front of you? <laughs> so the premise of us me joining this little ride along was to talk a little bit about the business of Ironman, and since I've been involved as a participant um, for almost 20 years. And let, let me clarify too, I, I've written for Ironman as a, a contributor, not as a, a, a so paid per article, not as a, an employee. So I have contributed with the brand and I'm also an Ironman certified coach. So I don't know if that's a disclaimer kind of comment. So I, <laughs> I, I am integrated into the institution of Ironman if, if not completely, but I just watched it kind of evolve in the 15 plus years of doing Ironman races. So I think my first was like classic 2004. And back at that time, like WTC or World Triathlon Corporation was just a, basically the trademark, I think, that just licensed the brand out to a lot of race directors. And it was only as we started getting to 2006, 2007, with the, the establishment of that Clearwater World Championship race, the WTC actually started being a race organizer and put them directly in competition with the race organizers they were licensing out to. So I think that uh, time frame is, is about also when triathlon was really growing, endurance sports were really um, booming, at least in North America. Races sold out. There was, um, you had to like be online. I think Lake Placid, I remember like to sign up for that race. I had to be online signing up. And if I wasn't signing up that day, it had, there was a risk of it selling out. How um, many races were there? Like how many full Ironmans were there in North America back then? Oh, probably only a handful. Florida, probably Lake Placid. California by then had come and gone. Canada and North uh, include that in North America. I, I'm struggling to think of another one. So Arizona's new. Oh, Arizona actually was started in like 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty new. So the other new race around that time was I think in 2007, Ironman Louisville was also the first Ironman that WTC operated. Um, so you're seeing all this growth and, and interest and like these races all selling out. And it basically is potentially a, a target for private equity. Private equity bars are typically looking for 
a business that revenues have the potential to grow explosively. Um, Roll-up strategies, if you know, understand what that is. So the idea of like, it's a fragmented business. And if you like potentially can acquire and, and bring together the component pieces, like the whole is worth more than the sum of the parts. Um, and so with these licensed deals to the independent waste directors, I think I'm like the, the private equity deals like, wait, what if we roll these all up into the umbrella? Like we're not just getting a licensing fee, we're getting a cut of the, the profits too. And so I think that's the whole premise why private equity got interested in the company back in like the mid 2000s, like 2007, 2008. Um, and that's kind of where we coincided with the explosive growth. So kudos to Providence Equity Partners for identifying that and, and, and noticing that. Um, and then being playing a role in that explosive growth. I mean, there were a lot of changes in Ironman from that 2004 Ironman Lake Placid race when I was first signing up to what I saw like six, seven years later when Providence Equity were looking to exit. And was that like, always the plan, do you think, to sell? Like, do you think they went in thinking about getting out? Providence Equity? Isn't that, yeah. isn't that the exactly, goals to? Yeah. The goal is to make um, as much money as possible. Right. Private equity um, firms are typically looking for a five to seven year at the at most kind of time horizon for their investments. Um, that they're looking to come in, um, grow a company, consolidate, enhance processes, improve margins, and then exit. Typically, the, the, so private equity, they get people to like invest in a fund and the, the lifetime of any specific fund is usually only about seven to eight years. So as an investor, your money's locked up for that time, but, and then they'll want to exit that investment, then pay off the, the independent investors in there and then start a second fund. So often when you look at private equity investors, they've got fund one, fund two, fund three, and each of those has a life cycle of five to seven, maybe 10 years at the, out, at the outer end. Yeah. So I guess, okay. Am so I, I speaking a... finance gobble to you? I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's educational for me, for sure. I'm, I'm, I actually have a question about how the power works when you have the, like when you have this structure. So who makes the decisions then? So then Providence Equity, what kind of decision-making power do they have in the business itself versus like the CEO or the board of directors of Ironman itself? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like typically a private equity firm will, like, will usually bring in their own management. Um, I don't know if that was the case, but I think, because Andrew Massett came in maybe one or two years after the investment. So he may have been headhunted by the private equity firms. Because typically you want to have control. Like private equity firms want control. They want to make sure that their ideas and, and their strategy for their investment is adhered to but you do have an, an independent management team. They'll usually take a place on the a seat on the board, but they probably want to get management in that they agree with. That makes sense? So yes, you've got management acting independently with oversight from the board of directors, but they're probably going to want to have a CEO in place and a management team in place that they see eye to eye, 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 to eye with. And that's... I'm assuming somebody with a mindset maximize profits. Yeah. Well, I'm so 
which is doesn't necessarily mean you can't have a good product. Um, yeah. Many so companies I, to maximize yeah. profit. It's like, can they do it in what a way that feels authentic and genuine to the consumers? And do you think Iron Man has been able to do that, given, you know, the past few years? And the Sarah's looking at me, gritting my teeth right now. I don't know. I feel like with Iron Man, it's like something I'm passionate about, but I feel like it's like a bad boyfriend sometimes. <laughs> it's constantly breaking my heart in, mm -hmm. in minor ways. And I have to say, I've, and I think you guys have spoken about this on the podcast. I have a great relationship with Andrew Messick. I met him in Kona about five years ago, introduced myself told him I was going to be in Florida like a few months later and showed up in his office. You networked. I knew it. <laughs> I networked and showed up in his office. So yes, maybe. <laughs> Good example. Um, and he's always got an open door, always responds to emails, always has time for people. And I think he's genuinely passionate about the sport. Bottom line is, is we fundamentally disagree on a few issues that mm. just frustrate the hell out of me. And it's like the lack of equal opportunities for pros in the sport. Um, and then I, there are other things I might have done over the years that just like blow my mind. And I remembered one example today. And I think I, I don't. I think this is when Messick first took over as CEO. They launched this program. I don't know if Sarah, you remember, they launched something called Ironman Access. And if you paid a thousand dollars up front, you were going to get like early access to race entries because this is back at the time where they're selling out. Races. Oh, so like, I do oh, remember. I do remember. Yes. Uh -huh. And so you were going to get like an insider scoop. Maybe you get VIP access to races. I don't know. Discounts with their partners. Like fluff stuff mostly. Um, but people just went crazy and it was super negative. And within days, I think they rescinded that whole program. But it's like things like that. You're like, ah, oh, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And that's clearly like a profit money grab approach, but it just feels like, oh, short-sighted, poorly managed, not offering enough value for what you're trying to take out of it. doesn't feel like a good value exchange. Yeah. So back my, to my timeline. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. I was just going to say my, my experience with Ironman is pretty limited, but... Um, it just, it very, you go to events and it very much feels that where you get a basic product. It's very, it's pretty consistent. You know what you're going to get, um, but there's lacking any real vision about how to make, how to grow the sport, how to make it special, how to make people more passionate about the brand. Um, it's just yeah. very limited. I have a example of that where I, Oh, sorry. Um, so Vine Man was a local 70.3 here just north of San Francisco in Santa Rosa, and it was a licensed race. Iron Man took it over and it became the Santa Rosa 70.3 instead of Vine Man 70.3 because it was now brought into the fold. And when you podiumed in those events, you would get a bottle of wine from like Kramer Winery. And I was like, you know, it was like small. But it was just like, you know, I got something from this race. I worked my ass off. I made the podium. I get to take home a bottle of wine. Not a very expensive wine. But then Iron Man comes in and I 
was the year I won my age group at that event. And I'm like waiting, like, where are the wine boxes? And I'm like, you took the wine out of Vine Man. Who does that? <laughs> and there was this like sad excuse about, oh, distributing alcohol on school property because like the awards was held in a school, but whatever. People had turned a blind eye to that for like the prior 15 years. So I don't know. It's just like, that's, that's one of those where like you feel jilted, stood up by the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You I took agree with you on those. Out of it. Yeah, those little things. Although like if I was going to play devil's advocate on this, I would say they're also a brand that people opt to tattoo on their body after they do the race. And it's one of the best like marketing, what would you call it? Coups of, of like the modern age, right? Like, like Nike pays, would pay an athlete $2 million to have their logo tattooed on yeah. wherever. Um, and it's funny, you can't see my notes, but I've, I wrote, I can't believe they don't own a tattoo parlor. <laughs> because there's like that level of loyalty and fandom and, and the, the role that achieving a finish line in an Ironman plays in certain people's lives, they want to ink themselves. And then yeah. that's, that's incredible brand loyalty and enthusiasm and, and spirit. Not one I subscribe to, by the way. But you see them everywhere, yeah. But is that actually a reflection of loyalty to the brand or to what it represents? I think that's a fundamental difference. Um, I, I think it's to the experience and, and the, yeah. the journey that that athlete is on. But it's, it's not like somebody's like, okay, Apple products. I will buy any Apple products because I know what I'm getting is super high quality, you know, great interface. It's what they think Iron Man is and the role it played in their life. And it, that's interchangeable. It just happens to be that they have that name. So it's the, it's the event. It's the experience, as you say. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the personal journey, but they've associated it with a, with but a company, that's, with a brand. The, where, if there had been real vision, they could have built something beautiful around that. But instead, so much of the Iron Man branding is very generic and... People do the the rate. They have the loyalty for the race. They don't have the loyalty for the brand. I would say, but I well, don't know. There's, there's we're forgetting like the, one of the drivers of loyalty to some extent for the brand is their kind of ace in the hole, which is the Ironman World Championships in Kona. Mm. Um, yeah. and a lot of like the way that the organization appears to be structured, and and the way it's evolved over the last ten years is recognizing like one of their values is creating these sought after race opportunities whether it's like the, the 70.3 world championships or the ironman world championships in kona um and that that offering kona spots has been the key to them growing their races around the world like let's give an example ironman canada in penticton was around for i don't know 15 20 years and always had Kona spots. It was part of the Ironman. It was first a licensee, then I think it was probably bought by Ironman. And then they decided to, oh, maybe it wasn't ever bought. So that's why they lost the license. And Challenge came in. And they went from a sold out event to barely anyone showing up the next year. And the, the Challenge race barely existed. Now, whether that's a lot of the 
the would-be Kona Hopefuls chose to go race in the competitor race in Canada in Whistler, or that people were worried about, okay, this is a, a new product, a, a challenge race. I don't know if I trust it. I want what's consistent, reliable. I want the Ironman brand. And the numbers would imply it's a combination of, of two things. One, that they trust the race experience, and two, there's a large market for like chasing Kona slots. Well, Iron Man wouldn't be Iron Man without Kona. And I, I mean, we can work backwards from there that they would be challenged if they didn't have the world championship in Kona with the history it has, they would not be this powerful company that it is. Right, I have a hard time if, believing it. Yeah. But of the 2000 people going to any given Ironman race, how many realistically chasing those Kona slots? 20%. But the sport is about aspiration. It's the, yeah, it's yeah. the mystique. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the, it's the buy-in on the, also I think Ironman as a brand is well enough known that people can relate it to their friends. Like I did an Ironman, doing an Ironman is a thing. You don't say I did a challenge. It, it doesn't, it doesn't. I did an iron distance race. No. Yeah. I did, an iron distance triathlon. <gasps> I did a long distance triathlon. None of those things carry the same weight as when you're like, and even if you're a middle of the road age group athlete who's um, who's not going to Kona or doesn't have aspirations to go to Kona, you're still sort of like I did an Ironman, and that's kind of a thing culturally. We know what that is. Yeah, um, that's it. But circling back to like actually Sarah's comment about the race experience. So my husband and I went to Challenge Woat. Uh, I want to say 2018, maybe I forget. I was injured, so I couldn't actually complete the race. But he did. I and I've I've done Kona seven times now. I've come across the finish line. I've I've raced eight, got one DNF. But the whole experience of being at Challenge Roth beats like the Kona experience for me, hands down. And I, I, I one of the reasons is it's going to sound a little like strange, but. The way that they had, like, just that like, you wanted to stay around after the race. Like, you want, like, there were, a, maybe it's a German thing. There's a beer garden. There were all these food trucks. Like, there's a massive firework festival that they put on. It just, you didn't want to leave. I was, like, usually I'm exhausted after an Ironman. My husband would be like, okay, let's just go home, shower. He's like, no, this is cool. The vibe here is so fun. I want to stick around. We're chatting with random people. I'm practicing my German, we're drinking beer, we're eating food, and then there's fireworks. It was just like this phenomenal, like all-encompassing experience that in spite of being exhausted, we're like, yeah, I want to stay around, sweaty and all. That's cool. Everyone says, I never got to go to road. Have you been there, Sarah? No. No. Um, I think, I, I actually think the part that, like the piece that Iron Man, like where they've failed or they've sort of failed in the minds of those of us who are a little grumpy with them, <laughs> is that like they, they, they fail to take into account the fact that we have expectations of um, the organizations that run sports, right? And usually those aren't corporations and companies. Usually that's federations um, or smaller companies or companies that run differently. So I think um, that's where they've, that's the part they've utterly ignored is that we're bringing in an expectation that they're, that they're running a sport because they kind of own long distance triathlon. <laughs> like if we're going to call that a sport. Um, but then they're 
their expectations are we're we're a company, we're trying to be profitable. And and they bring all of that and don't see I feel like they fail at every moment to see the other side of that. Yeah, but do you think that's more um, highlighted amongst the pro elite end of the field relative to like an age group that's just just there to do the race? They're getting the race experience, but I I think it's your comments are very valid at the kind of elite professional end of the sport. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to go do a Spartan race, right? It's a private company. Like you're just there to like check the box, do whatever you get when you do a Spartan race. I've never done one. I've no idea, but it's an experience you're buying. Yeah. yeah. And I think Ironman's offering an experience, but that's also conflated with this professional sport where there's prize money. And we look at sport as, for me, it's aspirational, inspirational. Like the, the big sports I follow outside of triathlon are like Formula One, which isn't at all comparable, but like I love the media product. I love hearing the stories of like the drivers. Um, and, and we don't see that kind of focus on the elite in triathlon, at least from Ironman. Um, so it feels like in that lack of kind of anyone taking care of the elite athlete and having also, their best interests at heart. Yeah, I, yeah, that's definitely part of it. I think also like the lack of social responsibility sometimes has been slightly glaring like I think of issues that have come up over the years as I like say with para-athletes I don't know there was a story in the news a few years ago about um, a blind athlete a female blind athlete who had a male guide and Iron Man was like no you can't do that like you we can't make the tents work we won't have a tent for you like stuff like that and then they and then the press got on it and then they changed (laughs) <laughs> um, but their instinct, their instinct is to sort of shut that down. And you sort of see little things or the, um, some of the issues sometimes, what was the one with, um, I think there's a great, I think Kadisha Diggs always has to ask like, Hey, I'm Muslim. I, I need a change tent. Like it's the, the they don't, there's no, there were no provisions in advance. You, you, it's the exception to the rule. And I think that consistent, like, okay, they don't have, there's no, always having to like ask for something versus like, Hey, they've, they've thought through like what the variety of needs are for like, a very diverse, broad ranging group of athletes. Um, yeah. Can you imagine having to ask for like special provisions every time you race and it's not your first race? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's something the that federations take care of. Yeah. Shame yeah. on them. Thank you. Um, because we, and they take care of elite athletes, like federations mm-hmm. are like, want to develop the sport, want to develop youth, want to develop, want to have equal access for everyone. But Ironman does not do that. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah. One, one thing that was really telling to me because, um, you know, obviously my, my background's more ITU. So it's been a shift culturally for me. Uh, I was talking to one of the, the referees who does both ITU and Ironman races. He's like, Sarah, really, you can boil it down to this. Iron Man or ITU, you get a manual that's about, you know, four inches thick and they go through every possible scenario. There are rules about everything. They try to think about everything for athlete well-being. Including holding hands over, over the finish line, apparently. Right. Which we can, yeah. 
Um, they go a little too far sometimes. I will, I will definitely concede that. Um, versus the Iron Man, and he's like, but Sarah, the, the Iron Man manual is tiny. It's basically so open-ended that they give me an opportunity to call the shots in this, you know, in the moment that I would never be able to do an ITU. Uh, you know, basically like passing the buck a little bit. And there's good to that and there's also bad to that. So you get situations with federations where it's very rigid, um, but with Iron Man, things are, they have a generic products that they want to create, but things aren't very tight and narrow in the same way that you have with, Iron, with ITU. And that's just, I think for me, that really explained a lot in how they deal with situations. They, they want to, I think a huge part of what drives them is ensuring that they will not be held liable for when things go wrong. Um, and that unfortunately does devalue the product a bit. Well, not devalue the product, it devalues the athlete experience. So this is a fair question, I think, but are they trying to do too many things? So that's the other piece going back to the historical thing where they just used to license things out. Now they're trying to manage the whole vertical of the business of triathlon, whether it's like the coaching product to the, the racer in the race organization to then the media. And this is where advance could be useful too, right? So as, a, as a kind of media company with ties to and advanced, by the way, to clarify for listeners, is the company that just bought um, Iron Man from Wanda, the Chinese group. But they have investments in um, Discovery Channel, Eurosports. Um, I think they're affiliated with GTN and GCN, so Global Triathlon Network and Global Cycling Network. Um, so you suddenly you've got like a, a completely, potentially a, the, the whole vertical of triathlon sports and like, the, the beginner and, and getting them involved at their like very first 5150, like then encouraging them to like step up, giving them coaching, um, executing all the races and then creating a media product, whether it's like feel good stories to the discovery channel or whether it's the elite end of, of the sport to your sport. Um, it's, it's kind of a, maybe they're trying to do too many things and it's hard to do all of them well. I think, I think that's probably fair. Um, I mean, they have a fairly small staff, right? Which got smaller in the smaller last week staff. or so, unfortunately. <laughs> and I know they t really tried not to have any furloughs with this whole COVID pandemic, but I do hear quite a few people leaving the organization due to layoffs in the last two weeks. And when you that's have such a big events company, right? It's, it's inevitable. I mean, that's... Um, one sector that got hit so hard by COVID. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's, and uh, so many industries are being hit hard right now. So it's like not surprising. And actually almost kudos to them that it, they were able to, well, it could have been they were stretching out until the deal closed. Mm. So, but hopefully it was, they were trying to stretch it out to see how, how, how long they could stretch their cash flow and, and manage operations. Yeah. So Jordan, tell us about this deal. Um, 
can you just explain what happened? So the Wanda Group, the Chinese company owned Iron Man, they were looking, first they put it up for, public, for IP and then what, nothing happened? Like, and then- Yeah, and then so Providence Equity owned it through, I think 2014, 2015. Um, which is basically that seven-year time horizon we were talking about for their fund. They'd actually taken money off the table through a dividend recap facility in 2014. So Providence had already got their money off the table, which goes back to Sarah's question about like having debt in a company. I think that's where most of the debt got incurred. Providence took their profits, loaded debt onto the company. So by the time Wanda came along, um, which purchased Iron Man or WTC in 2015, there was some debt in the company. And, and debt is, as Sarah said last time, it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a way to leverage, right? I mean, I have a mortgage on my house because my mortgage is 2% and yet I can earn at least 6 to 10% in the stock market. So that cash is doing better by me investing it than paying down my mortgage if I chose to. So, and it's tax advantage and all that stuff and it's the same for corporations. So that's not the worst thing as long as you're growing and can manage the, the kind of debt service. Um, so Wanda came, they were shopping um, to, for Providence to exit the investment in 2014, 2015. Wanda looked like a, a reasonable buyer, like high price, potential to, I think at that point to track on, like the, the, the growth curve was beginning to flatten in mature markets. It was a little bit saturated in North America and like there was more developed markets. So reasonable call to like, hey, this company can help us like, expand our program into China and other areas of the world. They seem to have deep pockets as a pretty large corporation. Um, and I don't know, I mean, so that was 2015. Wanda, and I haven't really followed the stories, but they were basically a real estate developer. They've got their fingers in a few different pies, sports related. I'm not gonna even try and understand that, but they needed to divest by 2019. So four years into their investment. And they decided that spinning out the Ironman brand to go public would make sense. Unfortunately, the market didn't agree. And so um, the IPO was, I think, classified as one of the worst IPOs of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, like they started with a, a price range in the low to mid-teens, or maybe low teens, ended up pricing more like sub $10, and the stock was traded maybe 2 bucks. By the time um, this deal got the advanced deal got announced earlier this year, so I think it was like Wanda wanted to exit the investment. I don't get a sense that it was the coziest of management relationships either. But I don't really know. I'm just that's total conjecture on my part. Um, and so yeah, so I think what's interesting, and this is what Sarah brought up last time, is the partner from the private equity firm that had been involved back in 2008 who'd ridden that wave of success by the way like he he's the guy that probably presided presided over iron man when you're like going the races like acquiring like all the licenses back and really seeing an expansion not only in their revenue but presumably their profit margin and they've continued to grow the business by adding uh, more business lines through coaching over the years so it's possibly an emotional investment in part from Jesse DeBay is like, hey, 
I know this business. I've done well before. It kind of seems a bit stuck. Maybe I can come in and help out. And then being partnered with a media company where I think many of us have been thinking and looking at like, well, we just need to market. I mean, this is the PTO thing, right? We just need to market triathlon better. And maybe that's the thesis there. And it might not just be marketing professionals. It could be marketing the whole feel-good process. It could be marketing the amazing places where these triathlon races take place. Um, who knows? But yeah, I don't know. Does that even answer your question or did I go off on ta- in tangents? Yeah, so I, I think it's fair to say that so my understanding is that Jesse Ray is a big fan of triathlon. I think, I think my understanding is he's a triathlete himself, loves the sport. Did he make out with a whole bunch of money the last time? I mean, possibly. He, he actually left as far as I understand. So he left Providence in 2013. Now, the dividend recap facility where they took money off the table for their fund at Providence was done in 2014. So. Yeah. But, that, but that's the goal of private equity. I'm like. To- totally. You can. Did he, you can did he be... achieve what he was supposed to for the investors? Right. Did he. Yeah. Really hurt IMN? I don't think so. I mean, they could service the debt. They haven't defaulted on anything. It's just a question. The challenge is, is like they grew that. He grew a. $50 million company to like a. Well, I think it, he bought it for about. They bought it for about 200. He grew it four times over in the space of seven years. That's a pretty amazing investment. And he bought it at a very good time and maybe sold at the high. So investors like doing that. I mean, that's something I do with my investments too. So do I hold them accountable to that? Not necessarily. But it's but, uh, did you leave was them the in amount a of debt position? reasonable? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so you th- you think it was reasonable? It's hard to know without knowing the finances, but if they haven't defaulted, they haven't defaulted on it. They've continued to purchase other um, assets like competitor group, like um, rock and roll, and like it hasn't hamstrung them in any way. So I've got to think it was reasonable. So yeah. you can't you can't blame someone for working hard to enhance an investment and then take their profits. Sorry, yeah, I guess capitalism me speaking. No, no, no. I, I, I totally respect it. I mean, that this is this is how things happen. This is business. Um I guess my understanding just had been that it was an amount of debt that was hamstringing uh the you know the ability to progress beyond that point. So like and you might be right but given the projection. So I think it all happened right as the business as track on sort of flatlining. So I remember, and this is going off on a bit of a tangent, but bear with me. In business, not in business school, my first year at JP Morgan, we did this training class. And you have to, you, they're basically teaching you how to model cash flows. And they give you two examples to model, one of which was Kellogg's, the cereal company. And it was, Kellogg's was put up as the example of this like super stable, high value brand that's just going to like continue like growing revenues ad ad infinitum, right? Super consistent, super well known. They just didn't realize that people would stop eating breakfast at home, right? So it was always put up as this like great brand and no one, and as I'm trying to do these 10 year cash flow projections for this company, I'm not thinking like, oh, like 
the eating breakfast at home with your family trend that's happened for the prior 30 years is actually going to change dramatically over this next 10. So as you can imagine, my Kellogg cash flow projections were way off. Um, but it's just an example of like markets change and hopefully you're doing your best with what you know at that time. I guess that's the downside of private equity is it's hard to plan long-term when you're not necessarily interested in, in long-term. So the health of Ironman, the health of triathlon isn't not, is not necessarily something they're talking about. They're talking Absolutely. about maximizing profits. <laughs> and that's back that's, to what we were talking about earlier. That's just a right? federation point, right? You don't yeah. have this like, holistic overseer of the sport yeah so do you think is it is it advantage the, is that the name of the company that bought that advance advance okay yeah. so do you think that advance made a good um investment um i think it seems reasonable i think they got a pretty good discount and yeah let me look at my notes a good did they use the code live feisty feisty. (laughs) (laughs) sorry you couldn't help that um yeah so like i think so i think we bought it for about 400 million dollars so we hit 80 i think was the 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 equity value um and so wanda lost money wanda lost quite a chunk of money on a u.s dollar basis i think they lost a lot less on a Chinese basis in terms of Chinese currency because of the way that the, the FX rate changed over the time. So, so I think they ended up buying it for, so I think when Jesse initially bought it, it was about 200 million. They sold it to Wanda for over 800 million and then they bought it back for 370, 80, I think. So in a much bigger, more expanded business with a lot more lines of revenue greater diversification across sports with the mountain bike races and the rock and roll stuff and VR racing apparently these days too. I want that discount code. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It probably needs a billion dollar paycheck. We've been rolling for quite a long time here. I just want to make sure before we move on, Jordan, that you didn't have any other amazing points to say on that um, that we missed asking you about because I know you have so many insights about that. (laughs) No, I think we've covered a lot. So I'm good, I think. I just hope I didn't say anything stupid or that will come back to haunt me. <laughs> I think that's odd. <laughs> if we were riding, we say stupid things all the time and, and it, it never comes back to haunt us because we just own it. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then the next episode say, you know, apologize or um, correct ourselves. So that's how we roll. <laughs> Perfect. It's really the theme of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Minimal preparation and just saying ridiculous things. Yeah. The apologize <laughs> later uh, theory of podcasting. That's what we follow. Well, I didn't intentionally say anything ridiculous. That's my no. That's, that, <laughs> that's our job. That's our you. You're the serious, prepared one who actually knows what they're talking about. We just talk nonsense here. <laughs> <sighs> Awesome. Well, okay. Wasting Iron Man is so much easier than talking about it. 
Um, after the break, uh, Jordan, I want to find out what you think about the predictions of the future of the sport um, in the post-COVID world. And our regular listeners will know that if we were riding and all things feisty is proudly partnered with Orca Sportswear. For 15% off all items on orca.com, please use the code livefeisty15. And that includes the wetsuits. So good deals all around. We grossly, as in, in a big way, and truly want to thank our sponsor, Noon Hydration, for supporting If We Were Riding. If you love us, or even kind of like us, or maybe just like our content, you can make sure we grow through our Patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And also make sure you talk to us on Instagram at If We Were Riding. We love talking to people on Instagram, especially on the stories. If you want to send us a voicemail, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to Sarah at livefeisty.com. That's Sarah with no H, me, at livefeisty.com. And remember, the I comes after the E if you're feisty. We also love reviews on iTunes and written messages from you joining the conversation. If We Were Riding is a Live Feisty Media production hosted by Sarah True and me, Sarah Gross. Our editor and producer is Taylor Mahan. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop. This time, like the last time, you better get ready to race in the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. So, Jordan, before we, I don't know what we do, roll back to your house and drop you off. <laughs> So you can yeah. have a glass of wine. <laughs> I've already started on the wine. But it's downhill with a tailwind all the way back to my house. So we're good. Right. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Easy. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts about post-COVID triathlon universe? I just know I'm never going to race with a mask on my face. I don't know. That's like not a very high value comment. But... Um, I don't know if it's a post-COVID world. I think I'm more excited about where people are trying to invest in and grow the sport right now. And I, I mentioned it slightly earlier, but I'm really excited that the PTO has got some big dollars behind it and excited about the potential for just a, a better professional product. Um, and I do think this advanced acquisition for all our kind of back and forth today is potentially positive for the sport. It's like a fresh owner, excited. They want to, they need to be successful and they want to be successful. Otherwise, why invest the time and money? This is a hundred year old company that they've got their reputation on the line too with an acquisition like this. Like, I don't think they want to fuck it up. Oh, sorry. Um, you can swear. We have the little E mark beside our podcast for explicit. Okay. So I, th- I think with the, like, the M&A activity that's been going on in the, in the sport, it's like we're probably in a good place with some fresh eyes and, and fresh dollars coming into the sport, fresh investment. It uh, can't be a bad thing. Um, I think that, you know, we start to see, like we'll start to see these smaller local races happening first. Um, I, have, I have a really hard time thinking about the future when we don't know really what's going to happen with with COVID. Like we don't know, we basically don't know if travel is changed forever or not. So if, if the world continues to look like 
a place where we would have to go into quarantine for two weeks everywhere we traveled to. Um, that would be a totally different triathlon universe um, if we were in our own countries and racing than the world we used to live in. Um, so I don't actually, like, I think that things, I was having this conversation with someone the other day who didn't think the world was ever going to be the same. Um, and I do think that we will eventually, like after the influenza outbreak, eventually things go a hundred years ago, kind of go back to quote unquote normal. Um, so I think we will, unless, unless another virus or so, another something comes along and then back to back it, then we might be, you know, then we might be looking at a different world, but I do still think things will eventually go back to, um, not exactly the same, but pretty close. Um, I think we might be more aware and take more precautions or maybe we'll have masks up during travel or some smaller type of um, adaptations. But I think, I'm hoping that racing will slowly, we'll, see, we'll, we'll have to go through the second wave first and then slowly but surely um, possibly have triathlons again where, so we can wow. go. That was way more negative than I thought you were going to go with there. Oh, really? I feel like I'm genuinely negative all the time on this podcast. <laughs> I, I think I'm just super grumpy today, so um, I'm going to roll with it. I think professional sports going to take a hard hit. I think bigger events are going to contract. I think we're going to see, hopefully, resurgence of you know smaller local events and people wanting to do things, uh, endurance events that are a bit different. So uh, I, I just think people will want to mix it up a little bit, not necessarily go back to what they were doing. Just looking at how interested people are in doing like bike packing and things like that, we're gonna lose. We're gonna lose some diehard triathletes. But again, I am very grumpy today. I'm tired, and you're getting negative, Sarah. I'm just, yeah. I apologize. Next week, I will be back to my normal self, and be like, triathlon's great. Everybody loves the sport. Right now, I'm like, it's all gonna burn. <laughs> <laughs> we need that sometimes. I feel like if somebody has to think it's all gonna burn sometimes, so we can explore that option. <laughs> Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us this week for a ride, Jordan. Sarah, I'll see you next week. Hopefully everybody's going to tune in next week for a slightly more chipper Sarah and Sarah. And uh, in the meantime, stay rocking. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.